Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to DraftKings Network. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that boss next. Big jab there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Down goes Duffy O'Connor. Frank Mir does it again. Rock him, sock him, robots here. There are a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Pay-per-view week, let's go. No UFC Apex this weekend, fight fans. It is Monday, February 12, 2024. Happy birthday to Abraham Lincoln and my younger brother, David Anik. There is a third brother. It's episode 466 of the Anakin Florian podcast. If you have found us on the DraftKings network, we appreciate that on YouTube. Full episodes of the show can be accessed on the DraftKings channel, so we hope you'll subscribe there. But a lot of content still coming your way on the Anakin Florian podcast channel. That included our second watch party, which took place about 48 hours ago. We think you might enjoy that replay if you have the time to check it out. I'm not sure the extent to which Kenny Florian enjoyed that exercise. He was sick as a dog. Dealing with, like, me and my twin brother going at each other. Long go in rare form. Big Ron Pellegrino. I had a great time, Ken Flo. Thanks for putting up with, with us over the weekend. Oh, dude, are you kidding me? I, physically, I felt, like, terrible. Uh, today, I still don't feel great. But I felt so much better uh, having the opportunity to hang out with you guys. You guys had me laughing and rolling all night. And, uh, dude, good times. Good, good times. All right, coming up in about 10 minutes, ESPN Radio national host and longtime handicapper and sports better Joe Fortenball will join us, as will Ray Longo. We will have a lot of UFC 298 stuff, of course, on the show today. And then coming up on Wednesday, probably Wednesday night, full preview with predictions for UFC 298, Volkanovski versus Topodia, Brian Petrie, and Ken Flo will make their picks. We are also scheduled to be joined by MMA Junkie and MMAJunkie.com, mixed martial arts analyst Dan Tom. Speaking of that watch party, Ken Flo, so at one point it did feature a power slap. I slapped my twin brother and, you know, my wife's like, why'd you slap him? I was like, well, Kenny asked me to. 
That's that's the genesis of the slap. You asked me to go slap my twin brother. I put down the cans and I go fucking slap him in the head. You sure so did. that's how it happened. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about UFC fight night, Hermanson v. Pfeiffer. And then, of course, we'll do some Super Bowl stuff coming up with Joe Fortenbaugh here in about five minutes or so. Joe Fortenbaugh also has a selection for you for UFC 298. So we were watching live. Jack Hermanson over Joe Pfeiffer by unanimous decision, 48-47 on all three judges' scorecards, Ken Flo. And I know a lot of people had their parlays busted, a lot of people ripping up Super Bowl tickets that were maybe tied to a Joe Pfeiffer selection, but uh, the underdog Jack Hermanson cashes, and I thought he performed really admirably, especially given the fact that he hadn't graced the Octagon since 2022. Your thoughts on Jack Hermanson keeping the gate closed, so to speak? Yeah, man. Listen, I- I'm not sure a lock, quote unquote, exists in MMA. This sport is just so chaotic. It's so volatile. And uh, that was one of those picks, uh, I guess, in a long time that I actually felt was a lock. I said Piper's on one. I thought the matchup was very favorable to him. And there was a star- strong argument that those first 10 minutes, um, you know, w- was kind of the way that everyone saw that fight going. Now, uh, Hermanson had other plans, however. And Hermanson started to battle back. He started to build confidence. I think partly because Pfeiffer allowed him back into the fight. Um, I think that he didn't respect that leg kick early on. I'm not sure he had an answer to it later in the fight. Um, And I think he thought that Hermanson was going to be out of there probably within 10 minutes. And that's when Pfeiffer certainly is most uh, dangerous. Um, I, I don't think he's ever been in the UFC anyway past round two. So anytime you right. do that for the first time, there's going to be a little bit of anxiety on behalf of that fighter in that round, let alone rounds four and five, which is a whole different ball of wax. Even if you're training for that, doing it in the UFC when the lights are brightest, even if it's at the Apex Center, is a completely different beast. And I think this is one of those things where we are really going to find out what Pfeiffer is all about. You don't know, you don't find out what a fighter is all about when he's at his best. And you don't even find out what, what a fighter is all about when he loses. It's when he comes back that you find out what a fighter is all about. And I think he's got a lot to lean on from his teammate, Sean Brady, who experienced something very similar in that fight against Bilal. It's a great point. And I think there are more talking points on Joe Pfeiffer as we spin it forward. But as far as Jack Hermanson is concerned, Kenny, I just have a lot of respect for this athlete. And I think a lot of people kind of wanted to bury him and suggest that he is several years or fights removed from his fighting prime. But I did think his post-fight scrum or press conference, whatever you call it, was pretty telling because instead of talking about championship aspirations, he talked about desiring to get in front of a crowd again. You know, he has been a guy who has repeatedly performed and headlined at the UFC Apex. But, you know, MMA History Today, one of my favorite accounts on Instagram, had a post about the UFC Apex, and I think it is growing tired on some fans. We did a little bit of a segment on it last Wednesday, but it's interesting when you have a headlining athlete like Jack Hermanson probed at the end of a win that in theory would propel him into into middleweight title contention again, And instead, all he's talking about is fighting in front of a live crowd. Now, I know you didn't have an amateur career per se. You didn't have that many regional appearances. And most of your fights were in front of big crowds. But I think it's starting to wear on some of the athletes. They got into this sport to make that walk in front of 20,000 people. And for a lot of these guys, it's not happening anymore. Not to mention, it can kind of be... uh 
a great assistance during some difficult times, especially if, you know, let's say you're, you're battling back or you need to battle back and hearing the crowd uh, behind you or sometimes even cheering against you can get you going. There is that energy that's all around you and how you harness it uh, is, is, is of extreme importance when you are a professional athlete. Um, you could use it for good or you can use it to destroy you. So uh, I think that uh, some fighters really feed off of that. And especially when you've already experienced that and now it's gone for that fight, I think that's when it could really hurt you. And, and I'm sure that Hermanson uh, probably felt that and perhaps was adjusting to that for the first 10 minutes. I'm not saying that's all what it right. was about, but uh, it definitely takes some adjusting both getting into that huge crowd for the first time and then not having it. it it's so different. Like I experienced that from the ultimate fighter when we were just kind of in that gym, right? The, 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 the ultimate fighter gym to going to a crowd in the finale were two very different things. Uh, the crowd or, or the anxiety of being out in that crowd in some ways defeated me, right? Feeling that pressure. And then after that, you know, when I got used to it, I would crave that. I would need that in order to perform at my best. So yeah, a lot going on. And I wonder how the UFC is going to pivot from that or if they do at all. Obviously, I'm sure there's a lot of economic advantages to having the fights there. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and the fans, I mean, the fans are clamoring for more live fights as well all over the world. And uh, the UFC can certainly go to any city and, and, and make it a great fight night wherever they go. I mean, how many times does Dan Ige need to concuss a man <laughs> without any crowd reaction? I mean, could you imagine the reaction from 20,000 strong if he had knocked out Andre Feely in a big stadium? Nuts. You know, I do feel for these athletes. Now, there are plenty of fighters who say, oh, keep me at the apex. And Tisha Torres was a fighter who really thrived in that setting and felt like it sort of not that it was a glorified sparring session, but it just felt like a, a comfortable environment for her. And I know a lot of athletes feel that way, but uh, certainly as announcers, we can do everything in our power to try to, uh, you know, scream as loud as we possibly can. But it's just hard to sort of translate in a live event setting what's happening at the UFC Apex. But congratulations to Jack Hermanson. Now, Joe Pfeiffer did say he was punched in the eye. He acknowledged the strike, yeah. but it affected his vision for a few rounds or so. I just had in my notes, I'd hate to be the guy to fight Joe Pfeiffer next. And it's certainly going to be an unranked guy. You know, I think MMA junkie had a post, maybe somebody like Eric Anders, right? But I hate to be the guy who draws Joe Pfeiffer next because I think to your point, he is going to improve from this. He's going to use this experience to his benefit. But uh, Joe Pfeiffer is not the man moving forward here on a Monday morning. And this is a pretty significant setback relative to a lot of what he said during the week about his superstar potential. It's great to be a star and to have a great story and to have the most powerful punch in the UFC. But you have to win fights. And I stop at suggesting this was a showcase fight for him because that kind of discredits Jack Hermanson. But when you're a two-to-one favorite to beat the number 13 guy in the world, right, and they give you that opportunity, the promotion and the ranked fighter, you got to take advantage. And Joe Pfeiffer was unable to do so. He, he wasn't. And, and listen, this is another reminder that experience matters. No matter how good you are or no matter how good your skills are, uh, it's still a very different thing to do it in an unfamiliar environment, um, uh, especially against another experienced fighter in Jack Hermanson. This guy has fought some of the most elite guys in that division. So uh, Pfeiffer doesn't have the luxury of relying on that level of experience. Um, so I, I think a lot of that are things that you just need to learn as you go. And I would be concerned, John, if I was talking about a 
fighter who hadn't dealt with some level of adversity before. First of all, if you've gotten to the UFC, you've probably experienced some level of, of adversity. You don't just end up in the UFC uh, just by circumstance. Um, the, the fight game itself, the training, all that stuff prepares you for it. But then when you look at Piper's story and how much adversity he's dealt with in the past, I'm not too concerned with it. I think this was more a lack of experience that he's going to learn from. And again, I can't stress enough, having a teammate like Sean Brady to lean on and, and uh, listen to his experience and to see how he was able to come back from that loss, that devastating loss to Bilal. I think there's a lot, lot to unpack. There are a lot to learn from. And I do think we will see a much better, much more technical uh, Joe Pfeiffer in his next fight, much more motivated Joe Pfeiffer, and most likely a much more dangerous Pfeiffer as well. Tired of snooty wines and their old wine culture? Confused by words like malolactic fermentation? Yeah, we are too. So with 19 Crimes, you can do the fancy-schmancy tilt-sip-smell routine, or don't. 19 Crimes is the rebel of wine and culture, telling the stories of rogues and rule breakers who overcame adversities. From convicts banished to Australia to the legendary icon Snoop Dogg himself, 19 Crimes wine is defiant by nature, bold in character, and always uncompromising. 19 Crimes, the official wine of UFC. Pick up in stores nationwide or online at 19crimes.com. Enjoy responsibly. 2024, Sonoma, California. Nicely put there, Ken Fly. Got to think the sports books were smiling when Jack Hermanson cashed as an underdog this Man. weekend. All right, now with us on the guest line, one of my dear friends in this cutthroat sports broadcasting business. He is now back on the Beast Coast, by the way, as the host of ESPN Radio's National Midday Show, Carlin versus Joe, 12 to 3 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday on ESPN Radio. The great Joe Fortenbaugh is with us. Good morning, my man. How are you? I was told that this appearance, and this is my agent speaking, comes with one of these brand new uh, One More Sleep t-shirts. <laughs> yes. I mean, you did the promo for me, my brother. These just launched today. JohnAnnick.com. Thank you. I'm done. You look like a large, right? Is large your size or you want an XL and you shrink it or what? I think I think we want to go XL and not shrink it, but that's very <laughs> generous of you. Very generous <laughs> of you to say, what the fuck is going on? I, you're catching me. In a great window here. This is the hour leading into the radio show. So we're coming off the meeting. Takes are flowing. And then I got notes for today because I know we're going to talk about 298 at the end of the weekend. So, like, I'm I'm popping today. I'm feeling great. How are you guys doing? We're doing well, and you're the fucking man. And I'm absolutely stunned we were able to get some of your time the day after Super Bowl 58. So we appreciate that a lot. I know I had said, hey, we could do UFC 299, but it's great to have you so we can break down the game and everything else with you. And Kenny, Joe Fortenbaugh is one of these guys who is bigger in person, right? What are you, 6'1", 6'2"? No, no. What are you talking I'm, I'm, I used to say six foot when you're younger, right, because you feel cool. I'm 5'11". I've been 5'11 <laughs> forever. All I right. just got, you get to a point, you get married, you have kids, you're like, I'm done with the line. 5'11". <laughs> <laughs> so what a Super Bowl it was. A lot of people expected that it could go down as an all-time great Super Bowl, and it wasn't necessarily trending in that direction. As somebody who went to the Patriots 13-3 to win over the LA Rams back in 2019, I was thinking we might get one of those type of games, but it goes to overtime. The Kansas City Chiefs are the Super Bowl champions. Just wanted to get your thoughts on the game itself before we get into some of your action 
pretty epic finish there. And Patrick Mahomes and Nicole Hardman get the winning touchdown there in overtime. The Chiefs are so good at waiting you out so that you make the mistake, right? Like the alligator blood, to quote Teddy KGB, the alligator blood. You can watch them. Sometimes it's not overly impressive like we saw in the first half. Sometimes you're wondering what's going on. Sometimes you're thinking, how the hell did this team even get here, right? Like a lot of the professional betters coming into that game, we had seen peak KC the last three weeks. But a lot of these guys who were on San Francisco, they remember that Raider game. They remember those other games where they stubbed their toe and played like shit. And they come into this game and you're thinking if the Niners finally put together their A game, which they hadn't done this postseason, they should be able to handle them. And the Niners kept shooting themselves in the foot throughout the first half. And then as the Chiefs just waited them out late in the game, they took full advantage of the opportunity. I still can't get over. I got a buddy from law school, total degenerate, total degenerate, right? But he sees it like I do, which is why we get along so well. We've been going back and forth on this text thread as to why Shanahan took the ball to start overtime. And he comes out and he says, well, you know, if we each have the same outcome on our first drives, then we get the ball third and that's sudden death. That's your logic? Like you're giving Mahomes four plays, four downs to get a first down. I don't understand what the logic was. And then today you got guys like Kyle Juszczyk coming out talking about how they didn't know the rules. Even if you don't know the rules, don't ever admit it. Donovan McNabb did that like 20 years ago. Don't ever admit you don't know the rules. Right. They struck me as a team that was not overly prepared, not paying attention to detail. Right. I couldn't agree with you more. And I do feel a little bit for Kyle Shanahan just in terms of another Super Bowl loss. And he didn't have much to do with that 28 to three comeback by the New England Patriots, but he was on the sidelines for that one as well. But I just want to piggyback on that if I could, because the 49ers players suggesting they didn't speak about the OT rules juxtaposed against the Chiefs, who said they had meetings about this. You know, a Bill Belichick or Andy Reid coach team is going to check every box and dot every I to what extent were you surprised at their sort of unknowing nature of those overtime rules? Well, at first part of me could sympathize because I'm going to be completely honest. I didn't know what the hell was going on. Like as soon as the, the, the overtime started, I was thinking, all right, we got these new rules. Let's break them down. And then they bring on Sterator and he lays out the whole scenario, but they never actually tell you how you win it. They're like, yeah, if it's a defensive touchdown, then it ends. But if not, both teams can score, both get a possession, and then it's a new football game. And I kept thinking, well, what right. the hell ends it? The clock or the third score? So then right. we get then we get late in overtime, and there's like a minute left. And I'm like, the Chiefs aren't playing with any urgency here, so I'm guessing that this will just go to another quarter. But Romo didn't bring it up until there was like a minute left. At that point, we had all figured it out. So, I mean, I, I should have known better. I think the broadcast team could have done a better job for us there. So it didn't surprise me that San Francisco, you know, may have been caught off guard. But think about if Juszczyk scores on that first drive. Juszczyk's a Harvard grad. He came out and said he didn't know the rules. Would he have been celebrating, (laughs) going nuts, and like not realize that they didn't win the game on that play? It's very surprising, especially as you see late in the game, you're getting close to OT, and no one is thinking, like, where are our game analysts coming up saying, guys, here are the rules. Let's figure this out real quick so everyone's on the same page. That was his problem. He went to Harvard. He didn't go to Boston College. But <laughs> there you hey, go. Uh, <laughs> you know, Joe, I'm always curious to see what, what brings people into the sport. Like, uh, what, what brought you into MMA and what kind of started, uh, you know, the impetus for you to start, you know, placing your bets uh, on the sport? Great question. So I was in law school in San Diego, 2003 to 2006. And obviously, MMA in California at that time 
versus where I'm from, Allentown, Pennsylvania, very different. The first card I ever attended was the, you're going to Honda Center this weekend. I was at yep. that first card that had Tito Ortiz and had um, wow. Andre Orlovsky. That was my first live event. So it was right before I graduated. I had just started watching it. Obviously, that's when um, you had Forrest and Stefan on Ultimate Fighter. So like that, I was one of those guys that got brought into that. I got brought in through um, like Drive to Survive on Netflix, brought me in F1. That's what brought me into UFC. So I start watching it. The, the thing about it for me that I love, that makes me love it as much as I do, I've been covering fo football forever. I, I played football. I played baseball. I played all these sports growing up. I've covered them forever. I never covered UFC. I've never done any of that stuff. I've never learned any of it. I wrestled for a few years in junior high, but that's it. So to me, I truly get to be a fan here. Like in football, a little bit of my fandom has been zapped. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's been zapped yeah. covering the sport for 15 years. With MMA, I don't have any of that. I, I go into this. I'm blind. I listen to you two every week going into the big cards. I listen to everybody else. And like I'm learning on the fly. So that's kind of where the energy comes from. Like I'm new. I'm learning about this all the time, which is what makes it so great. That's awesome. Joe Fortenbaugh with us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. So I think I met you when you were living in Las Vegas late last yeah. year. You leave the desert for this major career opportunity. And I'm curious sort of how it came about. I know I think you and your wife are happy in some part to be back on the East Coast, but you were doing a lot of betting intensive stuff. And that certainly still translates to your midday show. But this is like the dream for a lot of broadcasters to get their own nationally syndicated show on ESPN radio. That is now a reality for you. How did it come about? First of all, Christine Lisi says hi. I'm sure you remember yes, her. I she do. She says hi. She was just outside. I told her I was going on with you. She had mentioned recently, oh, John, he was such a nice boy. Such a huh. nice boy. Like, you should listen to that guy's mouth. You wouldn't think it's as nice huh. as uh, when yeah. you hear him. He's a fucking man now, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she's got all the cookies outside because it's Monday. But um, long story short, I was in San Francisco for six years doing morning sports talk radio. Sports betting got legalized at that time. I got an opportunity to jump on what was Daily Wager with ESPN part-time because I had been doing a bunch of gambling stuff since like 2011 when no one was doing it except for Chad Millman and Gil Alexander. So you figure at some point if this thing, they, they overturn these rules, there might be an opportunity. So while that's happening, I get a break to do radio in San Francisco. I join ESPN. ESPN then wants to bring me on full-time and move me to Las Vegas, which is where those studios were, as you guys have seen go there for three years thinking this is going to be fantastic because we had been in Vegas before. And then when the Caesars deal ran out and they partnered up with Penn National, that was the end of the Caesars studios. So they wanted to bring everyone to Bristol. They wanted to do everything at the home base. The offer was there. Um, I had been doing the night radio show with Amber Wilson and there was an opportunity right. to move up and combine them. And that's kind of what I always wanted to do. Like SVPs worked multiple jobs. Stephen A. Smith, like you look at a lot of these guys, multi-platform guys, I figure that's the way to do it. And I have a love for it. So it was kind of a no-brainer. It's great to be back. We got a big snowstorm coming tonight. Really, really fucking excited about that. <laughs> well, I'm just so happy for you, man. You. And it sounds trite to say like the cream rises, but it just felt like your success was going to be an eventuality. And I wrote to you privately, if you and Carlin weren't so damn good together, I'd be angling for a, a John and Joe show. But the let's do one. Let's, get a, let's get a baseball show going. I was listening the other day when you were on with Yanni and Nick talking about how you love to bet baseball during the summer. Oh. I, can, I can lose plenty of money betting baseball. <laughs> we should do a baseball show and I can just blast out the Boston Red Sox. Who, By the way, <laughs> since you brought up Major League Baseball, right? Yeah. 
the organizational goals have shifted decidedly for the Boston Red Sox. Oh, and yeah. I'm, su- I'm not sure if it's because the ownership group has won four championships, the last of which was in 2018. But like, what exactly are they doing with this Netflix special? Right. Craig Breslow, the anti Bill Belichick saying, oh, we want to let people in and show people what we're doing. And even my friend Trevor Story, who's a UFC fan, saying the players didn't want to miss out on this opportunity. How about trying to win a World Series? Like, what exactly are they doing in Boston? Certainly, it flies in the face of what your Philadelphia oh. Phillies are doing, trying to buy every player and win every goddamn game. Oh man, especially in that division, because you got the ha- you don't even have the have-nots in the AL East. You got the teams that spend the money, like the Yanks, and then you've got the Orioles and the Rays who hit on all this talent without spending a ton of money. So you got to right. make a move if you're Boston. If you're not going to have a bunch of young great prospects. Like the Orioles, you got to spend money. That's what Boston's known for. And then right. I, it all started. It's, it's, I mean, I'm not going to say the curse of Mookie Betts, but you trade that guy away. And that, that, that just set the stage for all of this because he's just raking in LA. Raking. Right, right. You never get rid of players like that. Yeah. All right. Well, we will Happy do a baseball, baseball show. Season. We'll see if. Happy yeah. baseball season. So the last prop you gave out on your Instagram, and by the way, Joe Fortenbaugh on X is at Joe Fortenbaugh on Instagram. It's just at Jay Fortenbaugh. So the last prop bet that you gave out on the UFC was a winner at UFC 297. It was a two-leg parlay on Mavsar Iavloyev and Drikas Duplessis at plus 200. Two close fights, but they both yeah. went your way. I'd imagine you're watching live when DDP gets that decision, Yeah. Yeah, I um that was that that you're sitting right there and you're just I don't this is going either way. Either way. Like everyone you you guys have talked about it before and I I've, I've heard it you hear it in boxing a lot. There's there's robberies and there's then there's controversial decisions. That was that's as tight as can be. You could have seen it going either way. I'm glad that that worked out the way it did. Um I expected it to be be tight. That's a hell of a fight right there. Hell of a fight. Yeah. I yeah. I, I I just that one ended up hitting and that was nice for us. That was nice. This past weekend, I was I was back and forth with everything. 50K with the knockout was fantastic because right there, it's like we're up going into the main. And in the main, I was waffling back and forth and I started playing no distance. Who the hell thought they were going five rounds? Did anyone yeah. see them going five? No. Right. That was crazy. By the way, so, more, more watch parties from you two. I noticed Jason Anik just gets right after the whiskey. <laughs> Dude, he uh, he <laughs> cut off all his hair. When? On Super Bowl Sunday. Really? What led to that? Well, not all of it. Not all of it. His wife yeah, just was like- so goddamn sick of the Boca bun. <laughs> so he can no longer put it in a bun. Uh, he kind of looks like Drew Dober now. Got a bunch of fucking product in his hair. No, it looks oh, good. Okay. It looks good. <laughs> but it will be revealed at UFC 298 this week. Yes. But before we do get to your UFC 298 action, okay. if you have any, I give you a lot of credit for giving your national listeners bets every single day and you guys keep a running tally in terms of the super bowl though um how'd you do overall in terms of your handle betting on super bowl 58 radio show ended up down a little bit because we kept it to a card of about i think maybe 10 or so picks over the two weeks the overall picture was slightly profitable i had i had the niners on the side I, I I didn't do a lot with that. I had the under, which that the under was a smash until all this overtime shit comes into play. And that's why I needed Romo to break it down better. I'm like, am I going to lose this under? This thing has been a stone cold lock the whole way. And now it's going right. to get blown up with these new rules. So some of the props worked out well. Kyle Juszczyk stuff was good. Brandon Ayuk yeah. stuff was good. I had a bunch of Debo stuff and Rasheed Rice stuff that didn't hit. Christian McCaffrey first half touchdown. That was a Joe Fortball original. 
Not ha, really. Ha. You know where I got that one from? You, yeah. were, you, were you sweating that? Absolutely was sweating that. I just didn't love the minus 245 for the ending time TD for McCaffrey. So I figured we would get a little greedy and we got the plus 135 home in the first half. My biggest loss of the night was, I think, $400 on Rasheed Rice to score an anytime touchdown. Yeah. He's a hell of a player, you know, hell of a player. Like, I feel good about that bet. Like, he is a big play waiting to happen. And he I was can't wide wait. open uh, late. He was wide yeah, open on the final yeah. play. They could have gotten him in there. Yeah, fascinating Super Bowl. So... UFC 298 <clears throat> beckons this weekend. So you're on a heater at UFC 297. Do you have any action or uh, or bets for our audience in advance of UFC 298, Volkanovski versus Topoli? All right, so I'm working through the card right now. There's not a lot. I always like I, – one thing I learned with a lot of guys that, that do this very well, you got to wait for the weigh-ins, right? Because that can, that can shift everything. Kenny, you would probably know this better than anyone, but some guys are going to come in. If it was a tough weight cut, that can swing everything for you. So you got to pay attention yeah. and you got to be on top of that. I would start with this. When you're looking at the main, and I, I'm not the one that's going to sit here and be able to break down striking, grappling, ground games, not my forte. But the psych psychological angle of this and how it affects the line, that's where I come into play. And, I'm th and I look at Volk and I say to myself, you know, if he doesn't take that last fight and he doesn't get knocked out, we're looking at this very differently. But because of what happened, he's coming into this fight with Toporio, who's red hot, and everyone's saying he's too old, right? That's the narrative. What happens after you get knocked out? Is this the end? And they're pricing it that way. It's, you know, what is he, minus 120? Small favorite here. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah. there aren't a lot of opportunities. You get a guy who half a year ago, we're calling him the pound-for-pound -pound king, and now all of a sudden, he's close to even money in a fight. So is this the right. buy-low spot, right? That's what I'm thinking about right now. Mm. Is this the buy low spot? Uh, K-Flow, you could probably help me with this. When a guy gets knocked out like that, though, you start thinking a little bit the next time you're in the octagon, I take it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what makes this fight even more interesting in a lot of ways is the backdrop of that last fight against Mahashev, him getting knocked out. What does this do to him physically? What does this do yeah. to him mentally? Uh, so, yeah, absolutely fascinating fight, dude. So that's, that's one I'm looking at. And then the other one... I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I want to do with Whitaker. He's a bigger favorite here. The money's moving against him. The, the ring rust for Costa is what stands out to me. And I see this a lot in boxing. And you guys can speak to it probably more in UFC. But guys like Josh Taylor, some of these fighters who are out of the ring way too long that rely so much on precision and timing, you see him get in the ring with someone who's fighting two, three times a year, and they can't get their timing down. Like what Tiafima Lopez did to Josh Taylor last summer I was on the wrong end of that one. And this ring rust thing is very real in boxing. So with yeah. the octagon, I'd imagine it's as well. I mean, what have we seen? We haven't seen Costa in, in like 15 months, 16 months, two fights since uh, Izzy. So again, you look at that and I right. figure, how do I get involved with Whitaker, who's coming off a bad mm. loss in his own right? I love the handicap and I love listening to you. I am going to be in Bristol later this year, and I'm going to oh. try to get some time with Amanda Gifford in the talent office just so I can tell her she struck an absolute home run putting <laughs> Joe Fortenbaugh and Carlin in that midday spot. Please send my best to Christine Lisi, and I'll yes. leave you with this. So dumbest fucking thing I did last night, bro. So <laughs> as of like a few weeks ago, I can actually bet in Florida on Hard Rock Bet, DraftKings yes. Sportsbook I can't use in Florida right now. So I had a $300 two-leg parlay on the Miami Heat plus seven and a half came in <laughs> earlier in the day against the Boston Celtics. Yes. And then I bought the Chiefs up to plus four. And dude, I cashed out early. 
I was drinking oh. Happy Dads and I fucking cashed out early. I cost myself seven hundred dollars. What what part of the game did you cash out? Like second quarter? Where were you feeling shaky on that? In the third quarter, third you know, quarter. I was I I cashed at three hundred. I, I there was a three hundred dollar bet, and so I cashed for like three eighty. So I made eighty bucks, but I left you know four hundred <laughs> on the table or whatever it was. But I just bring it up because for a better like me that has always been old school with a local bookie, I haven't had those cash out options at no. my disposal. So now having them, it's a dangerous fucking thing. I should delete the app during the game. It's 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 a very different world than. When you're looking for random Monte Carlo tennis late Sunday night to get inside huh. the settle number so you don't have to send the FedEx package Monday morning, right? Like you go through yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. You're betting random stuff. Like you're betting on Sunday night is very different than the rest of the week if you're dealing with that settle number. But yeah, that's the yeah. thing with the apps, right? You can regulate yourself. You keep a certain amount in there. You can't get too dangerous. But now you have all these options for pulling the ripcord right. right. and you might second right. guess yourself. <laughs> and the fact that you did that you had the heat come back to cover that for you because they weren't looking That's good. Right. And then they had a very nice fourth quarter. Right. They almost won that damn game. Right. Yeah. I shouldn't have gotten that part of the parlay home, but uh, <laughs> right. it is what it is on Twitter. You can find Joe at Joe Fortenbaugh on Instagram. It is at Jay Fortenbaugh. Dude, I love listening to you. I love your energy. I'm so happy I can get into my car every day between 12 and 3 and listen to you. Congratulations on the national show. We appreciate the time. Yeah. Enjoy UFC 298. Open invitation to come on this podcast anytime. anytime you goddamn well, please. Anytime. I appreciate it. I love listening to you guys. It's a must listen leading into all these cards. You guys do a tremendous job. I can't wait to see the hair, though. You got Now you got everything. My head's all fucked up for this upcoming <laughs> weekend because now I'm thinking about Jason Anik's hair. It's got no oh. one seen it yet. Kenny, have you seen it yet? I haven't. I haven't seen. I haven't seen it. But the, the Boca Bun. I mean, that that nickname is amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love it. And hey, Joe, we appreciate you, one. buddy. Of course. Thanks, Have a great fellas. show. I appreciate it. Joe Fortenbaugh with us on the Anakin Florian podcast. He actually goes live thirty-seven minutes from right now. Because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. Dude's the real article, man. What an absolute gangster. And it's interesting too because a lot of us are trying to move from the East Coast to the West Coast, and. So for me, Kenny, like I got hired by the UFC in 2011 yep. and I moved from Bristol, Connecticut or somewhere in the surrounding Bristol area. Yeah. I moved from Connecticut to Las Vegas and I never intended to move back. And that's a conversation for a different day. But uh, you and I both went east to west. And then whether it was a spousal situation or otherwise, we're both back on the fucking beast coast. We sure are. We sure are. I don't have to deal with snow. You don't have to deal with snow. That's a little That's right. different. Like, like East Coast is different than Northeast Coast. Right. So, uh, no, I, I, I like it, man. It's been nice. All right. So you heard a little bit of Joe Fortenbaugh's handicap. Ken Flows is coming up later in the week. But fight fans, you can get in on the UFC 298 action. Not now, but right now. With DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, new customers who deposit $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in a bonus bet. The pay-per-view main card is loaded. A lot of close fights on paper, including the featherweight championship main event. Essentially a pick'em right now between Alexander Volkanovsky and Ilya Topuria. Volk's been a big favorite historically in these title defenses. Not the case this weekend. And if you would like to get in on the action, you can do so. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code AFPOD. New customers can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code AFPOD. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. 
In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no sweat bet per new customer issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash promos for deposit wagering and eligibility restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Kenny, my daughter Riley is going to be 13 in August and being able to watch that Super Bowl with her last night was just a really special thing. She was into it, not necessarily because of the Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift angle. Certainly that was where her rooting interest was because yeah. of Taylor Swift. But she used to be like a bigger Swifty like a year and a half ago than she is right now. But that was definitely something that helped engage her in the game. But she's a New England Patriots fan and uh, kind of bemoaning the fact that they're just not very good right now. Because when she was younger, they were winning Super Bowls. She doesn't remember any of that, you know? Right, right. That's awesome. Dude, you know, it, it, I I know that's the case. But for people who are hearing you like break stuff down in other sports, like for, for a lot of people, they're probably just now realizing how much of a sports nerd fanatic you are like the the knowledge that you have in all like across all different sports dude is is very impressive well thanks buddy yeah i mean i have had conversations with joe rogan about your memory right and his steel trap memory and how you guys can just reference like yeah in round two constantini rokin and gabriel gonzaga the worst fight in ufc history but Gonzaga did whatever the fuck, right? <laughs> I think for me, I just have like baseball box scores and and a bunch of stuff that, given my current profession, is kind of useless. All right. I want to <laughs> get back to this Hermanson versus Pfeiffer fight card, if I could. So Dan Ige over Andre Feely. We mentioned on the Watch Party and perhaps on the Anakin Florian podcast last week, like Dan Ige wins these fights that on paper he is supposed to win. And even if I was forecasting maybe a longer fight given Andre Feely's current form, just a really impressive win for Dan Ige. You know, Josh Emmett, maybe he is not in terms of the power, but tremendous consequences when you engage with Dan Ige. And that was uh, that was a pretty violent offering from Dan there to close the show and earn a bonus. Oh, dude, he has a hellish, hellish cross or overhand. Uh, and when he lands it, he takes you out of there, dude. And, you know, for Feely, uh, I said, listen, he, he's the lankier guy. He's the taller guy. He's got to keep. Ige on the outside just wasn't able to do it. And just at the start of that round, I, I really didn't like the way it was going because he wasn't able to really estab establish that range and keep Ige uh, from really entering into that boxing range. Uh, and if Ige can get into that boxing range, man, he's got a shot at knocking your head off. And that's exactly what happened. It was a devastating shot. Uh, Ige right back to his knockout ways. And, um, you know, one of, one of the good guys in that division and, to see him back on track was was pretty cool, man. So, yeah, unfortunate for Feely. Um, I didn't see it necessarily. Well, I could see it going that way, but yeah. I, I picked Feely. I thought he was going to be able to stay on his bike, utilize those those jabs, those kicks, and uh, Ige just wasn't having it. So Michael Chiesa was part of our watch party, and you can catch that replay on the DraftKings YouTube channel, also the Anakin Florian Podcast YouTube channel. But Michael Chiesa offered up that he hated that one of those good eggs had to lose. And I think a lot of us had those kind of emotions when Danny Gay fought Andre Feely, but Danny Gay posted on, I think his Instagram, 
I want to say, Kenny, maybe like 60 minutes after the knockout, he was back at home reading his son a book before bed. And <laughs> it was the best thing I saw Saturday night. If you think about what you all do for a living, right? It's not like going home after a basketball game that's one of 82 in the NBA, right? You're fighting another man. You concuss another man. And then 45 minutes later, I see Dan Ige reading a children's book. I don't know. It was sort of a cool juxtaposition to see Dan go from the octagon to uh, to the nursery there in about 45 minutes. That's amazing, dude. Well, I, I will say it probably was a heck of a lot easier reading that book, knocking someone out as opposed right. to losing or getting knocked out yourself. So right. that, that's amazing, dude. Just already back home, reading his son a book like it was no big deal. Just went to work. You know, now I'm back and just kind of doing my thing as a dad now. Uh, but that that's awesome. I, I got to check that out. Yeah, not a scratch on him. And uh <laughs> reading the children's book to his son, Bam, I believe. Pretty cool stuff out of Dan Ige. I'd like to talk about Gregory Rodriguez and Brad Tavares if I could, but real quickly, Kenny, I don't know if you can see those featherweight rankings. So Dan Ige came in number 13 in the world, and a lot of these guys are are matched up, but you know, I'm not sure that Dan Ige would get the Calvin Cater, Aljamain Sterling winner. You know, He could get the loser of that fight potentially. Yaya Rodriguez, number two in the world. Brian Ortega, number four. Holloway's the number one contender. Mavsar Iavloyev is not going to be next for Dan Ige. Those guys, I think, fought, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think you could do worse than uh, Giga Chikadze. Is he booked up? It's hard for me to remember. I think I think Dan Ige has fought a lot of these guys, certainly fought Josh Emmett. Maybe fights Arnold Allen. That'd be a great fight. That actually makes sense. Yeah. Sometimes they don't like to match up. Oh, it's unbelievable. Sometimes they don't like to match up a winner with a loser, right? Arnold Allen off the close loss to Mavsar Iavloyev. But I think as I digest these rankings live, I would like to see Danny Gay fight Arnold Allen. All right, let us get to RoboCop Gregory Rodriguez. And I'm curious what you think the ceiling is on this individual after a TKO against Brad Tavares because Rodriguez can grapple. Uh, you know he's going to go for it. Certainly has a lot of power. I think there's a lot to like about his striking overall. I think at times he manages distance pretty well, moves his head pretty well, even though you know it's a big head to get off of that center line. But this was a huge win for Gregory Rodriguez. And uh, I think if you thought his ceiling was maybe at a certain point, you beat a guy like Brad Tavares, the eternally durable Brad Tavares like this. I have raised the ceiling on RoboCop after what I saw this weekend. Jacked President Obama. Is that who we're talking about? Dude, he can crack, man. The dude can crack. He is so powerful. That has never been a question. For me, sometimes what I see is a guy who gets a little reckless sometimes, gets a little too emotional, gets a little too excited, runs towards his opponent, gets into that boxing range for a little bit too long, and then starts to eat shots. I thought this was an excellent performance uh, from him. I thought he fought very disciplined. He fought very smart. He fought to his strengths. Um, and I don't know, man, I, I looked pretty dominant for me. I thought because of that, either because of that, or maybe because there was a lack of preparation. I don't necessarily believe that to be too true, but Tavares seemed to be all over the place. Like it seemed like he was confused as to how to approach, uh, you know, Rodriguez. So I don't know, man. Um, yeah, this was, this was interesting, man, but uh, awesome performance. Awesome performance. That is a good assessment of Brad Tavares, right? He did look a little bit listless and not sort of as completely locked in as we have seen him in fights prior. Yeah. And gosh, against Chris Weidman, I mean, from minute one, he was just totally locked in. But yes. congratulations to Gregory Rodriguez, not ranked at present, but moving on up in what is a huge 
year overall for the middleweight division, and that's a big win for him. All right, let us get to the star of the program. You know who it is. It's Raymond Peter Longo. Raymond. We're back in high depth. Oh, hold on a second. Oh, there we are. Yeah, you like to be in the middle. Yeah, much better, right? right. (laughs) Oh, my God. He's coming out guns blazing as usual. A Longo sandwich. Here we go. So my wife watched some of the watch party. Like, she loves you so much. It's it's amazing. Like she just <laughs> every time, you know, and I think a lot of us really like listening to you, but uh, you got a big fan of my wife. So where are you right now? You're in the living room, right? I'm in the, the uh, TV room. Yeah. All right. So you have a new camera. Is that accurate? That's accurate. And there's no headphones or anything dangling. How do you feel about this new setup? I'm loving it, John. <laughs> Absolutely loving it. Did it take you a while to set up? I know you were FaceTiming very- with our... Producer very earlier, frustrating, John. Not to talk over you. Very frustrating. Frustrating today, or for the watch party, or both? Uh, for both. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> hopefully by next week, I, I could lock this in. It, it takes me time. No, that's and that's need. okay. That's yeah. what you need at this age, right? More stress. Oh, right? without that, a doubt. Yeah. No, I don't yeah. want to, uh, Kenny. I really want nothing to do with this. Go, go <laughs> here, drag this, edit this. Command V, Command V. Uh-uh. I've never hit Command V in my life on anything. Uh, All right. Well, we can send. Cody, Cody did a great job, though. No, thank you to Cody Merrill and Brian Petrie for helping us out with the equipment, and Will Berger, who has been front and center trying to get you set up as well. And we can send Will Berger to your house if you want next week for the show to get optimized. But I really, in all seriousness, I want to make sure that it's as easy as possible for you. A lot of our listeners and viewers suggested that it was like a running bit on the show that we like the technical issues. We liked you in the toilet closet. That has never been the case. So uh, hopefully this setup is here to stay. Yeah. If All right. Will, so don't send Wilburger. Send over Smashburger. Oh, <laughs> there you go. There Try you go. Fries, but thank you. So I know you're a man of veracity. To what extent did you enjoy indulging us with that watch party on Saturday night? Would you prefer to watch the fights by yourself or did you have fun? No, I had a ball. I had a great time. Ken Flo, you think if we hooked him up to a lie detector, we'd get <laughs> no, 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 I, no, no, I, I believe him. I, I believe him. Like what, what's better than that? Hanging out with a couple of friends watching the fights. Yeah. You did know? the fights, man. It was awesome. No, we used to do watch parties, not watch parties, but we had parties all the time. I just over time, I mean, it's every weekend, every weekend, it just started to fade out and everybody's got their own lives and running yeah, in right. different directions. But man, we always watch the fights together, you know? All right. Well, we're going to do another one in March. The plan right now is to do a watch party for one UFC fight night per month. And uh, if you want to catch that replay, you can do so. Not now, but right now. All right. Big things forthcoming this weekend. Marab Dwalish Willie, Henry Cejudo under the lights. You getting anxious, Raymond, or what? I'm, I'm feeling it, man. And I tell you, especially somebody sent me a clip of, I go, oh, I guess it was the countdown special where did he, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping it was staged when he got rid of Captain America. Did anybody see that? It I, looks I staged. It had to be staged, right? Because if not, that's a really a piece of shit scumbag move. I'd never even look at the guy again. What a, I mean, you could, you could get rid of the guy, but to do it on, camera i mean is this what we come to kenny with everything has to be tick-tocked and all this but do bullshit i'm cool I'm, I'm hopefully it's bullshit you know yeah i mean this is this is definitely the age we're at man you know um crazy yeah i'm curious i i, I saw i read an article on it and i saw kind of what transpired i haven't seen the video itself but uh that's interesting it, it 
reading the article, right, you think it's kind of real. And then watching the video, you can see whether it's authentic or not. So I'm, I'm really curious as to uh, checking out that video and seeing for myself. But yeah, man, that's uh, that'd be unfortunate if it was just set up. I, is it a head game towards Marab, you think? Or is it him trying to get attention? What, what do you think the deal is, right? I think it's uh, narcissism to the highest extent. <laughs> That's what I think. To the highest extent. That it's all about him and that's what that's that's the way I'm interpreting it. You can't you can't do that with a guy that was with you when you won the gold medal. You got what do you got? One or two fights left? You'd have to be it, it's just stupid to me, but um well, let me dive into this a little bit if I could. And I agree with you that whole visual and the way it went down was definitely off-putting. It did look staged. And if you don't know the story, Captain Eric Albadasin, who goes back to the Olympic days with Henry Cejudo, he has cornered him for all of his UFC fights, is not going to be in the corner. And it was Henry revealing on the UFC 298 countdown show this information and it looked like the captain was not finding this out for the first time but the last time henry cejudo fought of course it was against aljamain sterling and it was eddie cha santino defranco eric albatacin everton lopez was in the corner and he'll be there this weekend but jose maria tome everton lopez and guillermo torres cervantes so Cejudo making some changes, and it's not those fight-ready guys either, Ray. So I do think that Henry may be trying to get some new looks and maybe didn't like the totality of that performance and preparation against Aljamain Sterling. So we'll see if these changes produce the desired result. Um, so he, yeah. He didn't, yeah, he didn't like the changes, John. So he didn't look at himself. He looked at everybody else, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's smart. No, it's fair criticism. And, you know, one thing that I suggested when Henry Cejudo came back, that it was a money play. I mean, certainly it was great for his sake that he returned in a championship setting. I was a little bit surprised that Henry Cejudo was afforded a title fight immediately after retiring and being out for that long. But you've heard him talk again about money in the lead up to this fight. I think the quote was something like, you know, the best place, the easiest place to earn big paydays is the octagon. It's not waiting on a real estate commission, right? Wasn't there a time Cejudo was going to be doing a bunch of real estate stuff? And I think a lot of these guys realized that not only did they make the bigger paydays later in their careers, but no place like the octagon in terms of trying to get, you know, a six-figure payday for one night, so to speak. Without a doubt. And that is, you know, like, again, we can complain about fighter pay. And, you know, like, again, we obviously, you know, the UFC wants to keep, you know, their margins the way they want them and the fighters want more money. But at the end of the day, they do make money that they're not going to be able to make anywhere else for the most part. You know what I mean? And that's that's the reality of it. You know, those like you said, John, to go in there, put in a six week camp or an eight week camp and come out with three or four hundred grand or five hundred. That's that, that's that's not a that's enticing, man. You know, it's not easy to go out and make half a million dollars today. Right, Kenny? I mean, it's not, you know, especially if you play. have kids. It's, yeah, one thing, it's one thing if you're single and it's just you or maybe just you and your right. wife. But, you know, once you once you start having kids, you realize, wait a sec, I got to start paying for these kids. Right. Yeah, right. School's all for so many years. Yeah, so, right. You know, start doing the math. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't stop. Right. If, you know, the bigger they get, the more expensive things get. Right. You know, today everybody's running their kids to all different types of programs. John, you know that. Yeah. yeah. No, it's That's a real thing. thing. So, well, uh, and when Kenny retired, he had not procreated at that point in time, but that's just not the cloth from which Kenny Florian is cut. I mean, that's just the bottom line, Kenny. I'm not trying to fucking brown nose you, but no, like your great. body failed you. I was begging you to just take one more fight. And obviously that would have been a big payday towards the end of your career, but 
for you, like once you fought Jose Aldo and you knew that, or you thought maybe your body wasn't going to allow you to stay on a championship trajectory, you weren't you weren't prize fighting at that point in time. Now, John, are you yeah. sure that was the first time he procreated? You're a hundred percent. Yeah, sure. I was going to say I'm not even sure, John. There, there may Kenny, be others. John, you said that Kenny's eyebrows started doing this. <laughs> it was like, like a don't go asking questions in Brazil. Don't go asking questions in Vegas. You know, just let's just. Yeah, I saw Kenny go. I'll take that. That's good. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So there could be uh, a little flurry, and it would be not so little now running around in Brazil. I guess we'll never know. That's funny. Oh, so man. real quick, these are the quotes from Henry Cejudo to Eric Albadacine, just to sort of put a bow on this story. You were with me for my last Olympic trials. You've been there for me. But as of right now, I just want to let you know that for this camp, dude, I'm getting rid of specific coaches. And that's you included. Sometimes you get too close to somebody and people just get too comfortable. Right now, what I want to do in this fight camp is keep it strictly business. And yeah, for me, like as a longtime runner, these days, trying to get out of my comfort zone and do more strength and conditioning, nothing fun about it, right? But Kenny, I do believe that this could be a benefit for Henry Cejudo in this fight that appears to be a huge physical challenge on paper against Murat. So, No question about it. Listen, you know, um, I, I know it is towards the end of his career, but a fight is a fight. You want to do, you know what, you want to bring your best self. Uh, sometimes you have to have these hard conversations with, with certain coaches or certain people who are around you. And um, you know, perhaps he thought that, uh, you know, he, he could have done better uh, and, and learned some lessons from the Aljamain Sterling fight. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. Or maybe it's, you know, all a ruse. I don't know. Um, but the fact that he went out there and said it, I think it shows that he's taking Marab very seriously, as he should. Uh, there is no such thing as an easy fight against someone like a Marab Dualashvili. He's going to be in your face, and you better be prepared and at the top of your game. So uh, I think it's a good sign for Henry uh, that he is taking this very seriously, and he's got to make uh, whatever change he thinks is going to help him uh, to bring his best self against Marab. Yeah, wait, let me make one thing clear. I'm not disagreeing with what he did. I'm disagreeing how he the did way. How he did I get it. it. Yeah. I'm 100% not agreeing. If that's it, yeah, the comfortability, I get that. But you can't have that conversation in private. You have to make it public on the countdown. Are you right. fucking kidding me? Right. That, that's, that's disgraceful. I mean, Whoa. that's a guy that you know for a long time. So how does he, like, again, did he take Eric's feelings into consideration when he did that? He could have had that conversation in private. So, no, he wants to put it out for a couple of million people to fucking take his shit on the guy. I, I, that, that's the part that I'm, I'm criticizing, not the, not the decision. The decision is yeah. correct if that's the way he feels. But the way you go about doing it like that, he can go fuck himself. That, that, that to me is really, really disgusting. Yeah, no, it really was bizarre. And I do believe that Eric will be in Anaheim in some capacity. And I look forward to having a conversation with him. I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, Ray, if the Eric Albata scene that I know was sort of in on it and was like, no, we're going to do this yeah. on the countdown yeah, show and I, really I, try I, to blow it out. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, that's the way I'm taking it. Because yeah. if not, I mean, to do that on like in that platform, well, I just, I, I don't yeah. get it. It serves yeah. no purpose at all except hurting somebody and making yourself look like, I don't know, he's a dipshit. He's a fucking dipshit. Either either way, he's a fucking re, uh, a moron at this point. I was doing a lot of media last week on UFC 298, and a lot of people, for obvious reasons, want to ask about this fight. And I have maybe been sort of uh, taken away out of a handicap 
and just saying, I got to talk to Henry, right? Because I'm looking at this corner audio sheet and none of the old reliables are there. So I do look forward to having a private conversation during the fighter meeting with Henry to see exactly what we can extract. But let us get to the guy who will be fighting out of the red corner, Mirab yeah, Wallace Willie. He's won nine fights in a row. Now, this is a little bit of an interesting career circumstance for him because of this extended layoff, right? About 11 months, there was a, a particularly invasive hand surgery for Mirab in May. He's, of course, out the other side, one of the hardest workers in the game. How excited are you for a true character, a true martial artist like Marab to get this showcase fight and prove for probably a second or third time that he is this division's number one contender? Super excited for this kid. And, and you know, like, again, I watched him really literally grow up in, in, in the United States almost. You know, like when he came over, he was a young guy. And just to watch his trajectory up to where he is now has been absolutely fascinating. I've always said he's a great guy. He'll always be a good guy. Um, and I'm, I, I can't be more excited. You know what I mean? I, I wish it was a five-round fight because I'd really like to test the gas tank completely, but I'm sure he's going to be a berserker for three rounds, and uh, Henry's got to find a way to stop him. Have you seen the betting line, Raymond? I know I haven't. May Rob Dwalish Willie, the minus 198 betting favorite, Henry Cejudo at plus 164. Interesting. Yeah. You think it's probably be a little closer, but uh that they they Marab's on a roll, man. He's got momentum going. Look at the guys he's beat and the way he's beat them. Uh I mean, shut down Peter Yan. Shut him down for five rounds. I mean, couldn't do anything. And Jose Aldo, I rewatched that fight. He stood in front of Jose enough times where Jose could have did something. But it was at the end of Jose, you know, Jose's career because he was a great, great champion. But uh, he did shut him down. I mean, he, he's fearless. You know, he commits to those punches before he takes you down. Like, it's not a fake. You're getting hit and then put on your ass. So he, he's got what he does. He does really, really well. And he's got the gas tank to back it up. Ray, I'm not sure it matters to you anyway, but do you think Cejudo's in this for the long run, or do you think he's in this to make another shot at the title, or do you think he's in this for a payday? Like, wh where do you think Cejudo's head is at uh, at this stage of the game? You know, you know, my initial thing would be he's in it for a payday, but you know, look, the guy's a competitor; he's a gold medal winner. You know, your, your brain, he's going to think he could beat everybody up until the time he's 70, I'm sure. I'm sure that's his mentality, and that's what got him there. So as much as I want to say it's a money grab, I honestly believe he thinks he can make another run for the title. Uh, but sometimes, you know, what your brain says, your body can't back up. And I think we're, that's what we're going to see on, on Saturday night. So this might be an unfair question, but... Sean O'Malley is defending against Marlon Cheeto Vera at UFC 299 next month. And O'Malley has already sort of laid the foundation potentially for a fight against Ilya Topuria if Topuria is able to win against Alexander Volkanovsky. We'll get your thoughts on that main event here shortly. But Corey Sanhagen also is in the mix. Yes. I don't know if this is even a fair question, but what do you think Marab needs to do to make his case ironclad? to be next in line for a title fight. Is there anything he can do? Uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping he gets a win and it's, that's enough, but I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm not sure what the politics of this game, John. I, I don't know. I mean, I think he's already done enough to get a title shot and he's, he beats Henry. He should get a title shot. I think everybody would agree with that. No. 
Yes, yeah. of course. I mean, I don't know. So then why why would anybody think anything different? You know what I mean? That that's it's to me, it's it's uh, you know, it's cut and dry. You know, he wins the fight, he gets a title shot. And he should have he could have even had a title shot at this point. Right. People he beat in his last uh three fights, you know what I mean? So nine fight win streak, you can literally make a case for an eleven fight win streak. Um yes, you can do that. You can make a case for that, no question about it. So what else do you have to do? I mean, it's like Tony Ferguson. What was his? He had 11 fights in a row and uh, yeah. I think he finally gave right. him a shot. But this is a lot, man. I mean, he deserves the title shot 100% in my opinion, 100%. Right. To play devil's advocate, do you think it hurts him that he has the style that he has, that, that he primarily takes the approach of, of a grappler who wants to take you down as opposed to one-shot knockout power like, a, like an O'Malley, for example? Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, look, everybody wants excitement. You know what the UFC wants? They wanted, you know, as close to that WWE model as they could get. They want to be able to control the narrative as best as possible. And they want those fights. They want bangers. You know what I mean? They they want bangers. So, yeah, I, th- I think it does hurt them. But I love watching them fight. I love. I was just going to say, like, when yeah. was the last I enjoy it. he Absolutely. was involved in, right? Yeah, right. I, it's always exciting to me. I, I love it. You know, he's going to uh, be in your face every second of the fight. That's for oh, sure. Yeah. He's not he's not running away. He's not no. like uh, he's not Pernell Whitaker making you miss and, you know, not even, you know, pity patting you like that. He, he's coming straight forward. Stop him. Yeah. You know, so he's I one of the him. most offensive fighters in mixed martial arts. He's constantly trying to finish, trying to put you in harm's way, even if he doesn't have this long track record of putting guys away um yeah man i mean he's left jose aldo and Piotr Jan in his wake and he has a huge opportunity against henry cejudo this week and i just believe if he can somehow get henry out of there and break henry that would only serve to strengthen his case because matchup wise i would argue that marab is probably the worst matchup in the division for sean o'malley and in an era and in a promotion that serves a lot of different masters I don't know that you get Sean O'Malley to uh, have an appetite for this as his second title defense if he gets by Cheeto in well, Miami. If he thinks, you know, first of all, if he thinks avoiding Marab and going to Ilya Taporia, <laughs> that's not going to work out good for him either. But yeah, uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, he's a new champ, man. He's got a lot to prove at this point still, and uh, he should just be taking it one fight at a time. But you know. Power to him. I mean, look, I love the way O'Malley fights. I love his boxing. I love I love what he does. So, uh, you know, I get it with that. But, uh, you know, he should definitely fight Marab, especially with the cult controversy. They have a storyline back there. Oh, which, yeah. You know what I mean? They have they have that to play. It's almost like kind of throwing the thing at the bus. You know, it's that similar. You know, you could build the story around it. And that's what they like. They like I think they like those storylines. Oh, yeah. yeah. Much Definitely. less harmful, incidentally, than Conor McGregor throwing a dolly at a bus full of fighters. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. Much funnier, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ray, before we let you go, we mentioned Ilya Topuria fighting Alexander Volkanovsky. This was essentially a pick him on DraftKings Sportsbook. Now Volk is minus 120 as we sit here on Monday during fight week. A lot of people think that there is a tremendous amount of value on Alexander Volkanovsky. Historically, he's been a big favorite in a lot of these title defenses. That is not the case this weekend. So are you aligned with that opinion as this price seemingly is starting to move up, that there's value on Volkanovsky? It sounds like you like what you've seen on film from Topuri as well. 
I mean, look, these this is uh, both guys. First off, I, I, I like Ilya Taporia, you know, regardless. But uh, this is a, it's still a tough fight, man. I mean, the only thing you could say is that, you know, Volk was knocked out the last time. Is there any residual effects of that, which we've seen guys come back and do great? You know, I'm always looking at that. And then it's I always say, like, it might not be this fight. Then it's the next fight. You know what I mean? But I do think it it builds up somehow. But you might get through the first fight. But I mean, Volk is tough, too, man. Where do you where do you beat him? Like, where do you beat him? You knock him out. Like, I mean, that was a head kick. Took it on last minute notice against the bigger guy. I don't know, man. I mean, you're going to out wrestle him. Right. He He squared away everywhere. And look what he's done to like Yuri Rodriguez and some of the other guys. Yeah, walk right through him like it's well, right. You know, so I don't know. I mean, I you know I like both guys. I really do like personally like both guys. So I'm not. I don't. I don't know which way to go. To be honest with you, but it's going to be a great fight. I'm looking forward to the fight, and uh, I think Volk's a really strange puzzle to solve. A lot of pundits yeah. are suggested that Topuria has both a speed and power advantage. And Ilya is talking like a guy who feels like he has myriad ways to finish as well. I'll see you on Valentine's Day in Anaheim, if I'm not mistaken, Raymond. Oh, yeah, we're, we're partying. It's me, you and Big Ron this week. <laughs> That's right. Big Ron Pellegrino are going to be there as well. And uh, I don't know if you heard, Ray, you probably didn't. My twin brother's coming out, too. He cut off all his hair, so. Oh, wow. Good, yeah. we, good to so. see Jason. Too. No, it was fun the yeah. other night. No, do we? Have right. a no, I had a great time. A blast, dude. Yeah. I would do that. I would do that for almost any UFC fight. And I'm watching the fights at home. It's a little invasive on the rest of my family, but uh, let me get my who cares folder for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like. Where the, pants, the pants in that relationship? I like that. <laughs> Poor Chrissy. Chrissy, yeah, I get you back, Chrissy. Don't worry about it. You know who wears the pants in my twin brother's marriage? Not fucking him. <laughs> I'm not even trying to be right funny. Now. You, got, you, you guys know? got a good thing going. I like this. I like the bickering <laughs> and bantering. This is funny. But uh, the truth will set you free. I mean, he'll come on these airwaves and say, yeah, like my wife's the boss. <laughs> and uh, I just turn around and fucking take it. You know what, though? I mean, Ken Flo can be a stubborn guy. You know, Ken Flo married a strong woman as well. Like, she don't take no shit either, Kenny. You know, she I'm not does. saying she wears the pants necessarily. But. No, she does not. But <laughs> you know, we, have, we have we have we have a nice, you know, we have a nice working relationship. It, it takes time, but there's a lot yeah. of arguments along the way. But now yeah. we're kind of we're understanding each other a lot better. And how yeah. many years you've been married, Kenny? Let's see. Since uh, what? 14. Uh, oh, yeah, wow. 2014. So it'll be 10 years. Oh, wow. So 10 years, Decade coming right. up. Ooh. Wow. Ray, you should have seen the backdrop. Paulie's Island, South Carolina. <laughs> Looks like a fucking movie set, you know? <laughs> well, you got movie good looks. You yeah. yeah, no, right. It was like, wow, the bride and groom are really attractive. And um, the pockets were deep for that wedding. I'll tell you. <laughs> Do you know, actually, uh, Mr. Gilbert, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah there you yeah. go. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure Augustine kicked in a little. <laughs> By the way, Dr. Florian is on Instagram now. He is. Oh, yeah, yep. I think he is. That's yep. right. You're right. Well, we are, I always see him on Twitter, right? He is on Twitter. He's, he's always like he still, he still practices, Kenny. He well, he's still an active active doctor, more on the research side now. But he doesn't yes. uh, he doesn't do surgery anymore. Beautiful, yeah. Yeah. one of the greatest thoracic surgeons of all time. I would love I'd love to meet him someday. Seems like yeah, he, he would love to meet you. Yeah, yeah. But uh, let me get a couple of shout outs, Sean. Before Please. I go. You know, we 
we had a big weekend we talked about on that's the, right uh, whatever we did the other night <laughs> 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 what do you do with it? oh watch, watch party. party yeah watch party yeah, yeah. ain't working but shout out to dylan montalo mentello and damian nelson two big wins two stoppages nice uh damian beat uh beat one of your boston guys what's his name again seamus Oh, Don, Don Shanus. Yeah. Shameless Don Shanus. Sh- shameless Don Shayless. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice. But looks like a stand-up guy, too. Took the took like, legal knee and he wanted to get right back in there. So he looks like a grassroots good yeah. dude. Dylan had a great, great, uh, great fight, second round knockout. Uh I also want to shout out Nate Williams, man, his opponent. Right when they, you know, were reading the decision, he came over. He said, "I'm an avid listener of the Yannick and Florian podcast. I wow. love you." Even an opponent, Nate Williams. I'm always be a fan of yours from now on. Uh, crafty, crafty veteran. Great team around him. Really nice guys. And uh, and uh, that was it. But uh, and also, let me just get an ally Quinta, Charlie Campbell in the corner with me with Dylan Montella. What a power corner that oh, was! I loved I it. Bet. Loved every second of it. And up in Boston, we had Steve Lee, uh, Eric High was was uh, was a part of everything too, as always. Uh, Johnny and Sully, I'm nice Johnny and Sully, nice Johnny way to close Sully. it out. It that does Sully. sound like a power corner, right? Right. Oh, that Longo was ally Quinta Charlie Campbell. My goodness, great, great corner. Yeah. You know, whatever Dylan doesn't finish, Charlie wants to jump in there and kill somebody. <laughs> <so> <laughs> Always good. Uh, yeah, so a great weekend for the team. I want to thank all the coaches and everybody, too, because we were split up, and we're really – these guys are really making it easy on me to help me out a lot, so I want to give them the proper credit. So, Amazing. And it yeah. sounds like Nate Williams deserves to be what booked a, on the Anakin Florian podcast. I would get him on. This guy. We'll get him on. on. I like every – anybody that comes up to me and, and says that, I think, you know, it's like building a building, Kenny, one brick at a time, man. You got to get these guys. But even his team, just the great, great people. It was a great, cool. great, ran into Wonder Boy's father there. You know, I didn't oh, even wow. know he was in. I didn't even know he had somebody fight. We were in different dressing rooms. That's yeah. always fun. Was so, he printing money on location or did they just do that in Simpsonville, <laughs> South Carolina? Oh, oh, they're printing money. Oh, my Ray, goodness. Ray runs a tight ship, man. He's not, <laughs> he's, Ray's not fucking around, man. He's a great, no. great dude. And they got a great, great setup over there. If you ever get it, I always talk about it. You ever get a chance yeah. to snatch him? Absolutely phenomenal. They just, they just got martial arts run through their veins. Man. Oh, there's no cool. doubt. You know. And as much as the Florian Martial Arts Center on Webster Street in Brookline, Massachusetts, it's absolutely slaying it, right? Ray Thompson's got over 900 students, right? Even if they're all paying fucking 20 bucks a month. It's a lot of yeah, money. I believe a lot of they own like a literal castle in Simpsonville, yeah. South Carolina. So, yeah, they're doing okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, no, no, no. And he built it. <laughs> he built it. I think he built it himself, if I'm not <laughs> That's mistaken. Crazy. Yeah. I think you know, I think the contractor was going too slow. He threw him out, and he started doing it himself. Damn. So yeah, that's, that's a man right there. Yeah, yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy. But yeah, all right, Raymond, have that. a great day. Have a better evening, and I can't wait to give you a big hug uh, in Anaheim, California, buddy. We wish you and Marab Dwalish Willie all the best, and uh, we'll see if it's a celebration Monday on the Anakin Florian podcast next week, brother. Let's go, Marab. Right. Let's do it. Take Thank it you, easy, Ray. guys. Great time as usual. I'll talk. Thank you, buddy. The Ray Longo minute now visually enhanced. Every week. Good, good, good. All right. By the way, I did have a UFC fighter send me a direct message this weekend asking if he could come on the Anakin Florian podcast. And since Ray just talked about Nate Williams, probably a good opportunity. If you are an active UFC fighter 
and you would like to grace these airwaves and be brought on the Anakin Florian podcast, all you need to do is reach out to me, message me. We would like nothing more than to give all of you a platform. So if you are a UFC fighter that listens regularly and you feel like coming on here could enhance your profile, if you're a fan of Kenny Florian, whatever the case may be, happy to have you on the program. All right, Kenny, we got another episode coming up, I think, Wednesday night. But before we get on out of here, Hadolfo Vieta submits Armin Petrosian with an arm triangle at this UFC fight night. And I think this was the record setter. I think no man nor woman in UFC history has four arm triangle submissions in the UFC. And, uh, you know, the early returns on Hadolfo Vieta in the UFC weren't necessarily great, but he has really rounded into form and uh, increasingly becoming a middleweight problem. This was a big win for him over the weekend, got the bonus too. And no question about it, man. You know, just like uh, we talked about uh, with Piper, we have seen a guy at Hadolfo Vieira hat who knows how to come back from adversity, whether it's the Anthony Fuffy Hernandez fight or Chris Curtis. He has been adapting. He's been getting better. And to see a guy who is a true legend in the sport of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu do this well here in the UFC at the highest level, being a very dangerous guy in Petrosian. I thought it was a tremendous win for him. And, uh, you know, my signal just turned bullish for him, man. He's, yeah. he's looking great. Yeah. All right. So a lot of coverage coming your way at UFC 298. That includes extra rounds on UFC Fight Pass with Bilal Muhammad and my twin brother, Jason Anik. I'm going to be making an appearance there on Friday. So I don't know exactly where they are going to be, uh, but I'm going to show up. I would love nothing more than to meet a lot of the Anakin Florian podcast listeners and UFC fans. So hopefully if you are in the big A, we can connect on Friday. Also, don't forget JohnAnik.com. We just launched our new flagship One More Sleep Designs. That's not going to help there. I'm just going to hold it up a little bit. And you know it's yeah. authentic. Sorry about me pitting out there. But you know it's authentic because that is actually my signature right there. Thank you, Cody. Get that mic out, out of the way. This should be our two-shot. This should be our two-shot, though. Why do we have to go so close on us? We look fucking terrible. This is the <laughs> shot, right? Isn't this the better shot? But anyway, this is the brand-new <laughs> flagship One More Sleep design. Thanks to Joe Romero and everybody that helped put this together. And you know it's authentic because... My signature's in the collar as well. Cody's telling me not for vertical content. This shot doesn't work, but I do think we look prettier and it shows off my studio with Nate Diaz and Khabib and everything else. But we got to get on out of here. JohnAnnis.com for all of the Anakin Florian podcast merchandise, including the new One More Sleep designs. The Miami design is there for UFC 299. The Brazil design is already out there. 20% off of all ANF designs with code one more sleep that goes through UFC 298 this weekend. You're also encouraged to check out Kenny Florian martial arts.com. And if you really want to go down a rabbit hole, Argus integrated defense and ANR tactics on Instagram. Thank you to our guests, Joe Fortenbaugh and Ray Longo. We are back perhaps better than ever on Wednesday with a full preview with predictions for UFC 298. Thank you to the maestro Cody Merrill for putting it all together for Ken Flom, John Anik. We'll talk to you in about 48 hours until then. Yo fucking later. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. 
1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.